Tom Searcy. I'm Tanya Overdorf. Big Days Arrived, it's now 40 Days in the Word. Now, think about 40 Days in the Word as if someone that you really, really cared about wrote you a letter. Now, the letter had all sorts of stuff in it. It had great advice and insights and wisdom, some humor, some stories. And even buried inside of there was a treasure map that would get you exactly what you had always wanted if you followed it. That's the Bible. But if you're gonna figure out how to get, follow the treasure map and get the advice and hear the encouragement, you gotta do what? Gotta get in a small group. Gotta get in a small group. That's where I met you, right? That's right, we met there and we got a chance to study the word there together, which was awesome. Um, you've gotta show up for service. So we have services every Sunday and for the next six weeks, we would love to have you at one of those services. By being in those services, you get a chance to really dive into the word. But besides that, if you're going to be in a small group or you're not in a small group, go and see if you can't get into a small group. We've got lots of small groups out there, or you could start one. We make it easy, right? We make it very easy. All you have to do is go into the lobby. We have people out there ready to meet you to get you started in your journey into a small group. You know, we, we even provide a DVD, so you pop it in, you run that, and that helps uh, to kind of get the conversation going and to really get to the, to the meat of the issues that are available to you inside the Bible. The most powerful being in the entire universe of all time wrote you a personal letter. So, we're going to do 40 days in the Word, so... Let's get started. I love it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 40 days in the Word. Are you excited? Oh, I think you could do better than that. I'm really glad you're here, for sure. And uh, listen, I'm telling you with confidence that your life can change dramatically in 40 days. God wants to transform your life in 40 days. And you say, well, what's the the big deal about 40 days? Listen, every time God chose somebody and wanted to do something powerful in someone's life and totally transform them, in the Bible, he always took 40 days. So you have 40 days of rain where Noah's life was transformed or, or Moses, 40 days on Mount Sinai with God. Or you might choose the spies who went into the wilderness for 40 days and spied out the land. Their lives were changed. Or you might pick David, whose life was changed by a 40-day challenge from Goliath. Or Elijah, a man of God who went out into the wilderness and fasted and met God and in 40 days totally transformed his life. How about a whole city that was resisting God, far from God, called Nineveh? And the people there, they, they felt uh, convicted and they changed, transformed in 40 days. I want to take you to Jesus who went 40 days in the wilderness and there his soul and his character was tested. And then after he was raised from the dead, he spent 40 days with his disciples and their lives were transformed. And after that period of time, they literally changed the world. I want to tell you that something powerful can happen when you give yourself to God for 40 days. He can transform you. And the habits that you establish in your life over the next 40 days can last the rest of your life. This isn't going to just be about what happens in church for six weeks. The entire journey takes place in a number of phases and they all align together. The first thing is that it's mostly going to be done in our small groups together. There are just hundreds of groups that meet all over the city of Indianapolis and we're calling them lead groups and we want you to be in one for this six-week period. Now a lead group is this. There's four things we do. You remember uh, we learn together we encourage one another, we achieve uh, authenticity and gain integrity with each other, and we dream together about what God might do through us. And so for the next 40 days, 
we're going to be learning together. And Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church in California, has done it again, and he has written an outstanding study. And the purpose of this is to help you be a person that can unlock the Bible for yourself. I mean, so much of the time it's, well, that's your interpretation, or I wonder if that's true. But we're going to give you the tools so that you can investigate for yourself, and you will learn how to understand the Bible, how to love the Bible, and hopefully you'll learn how to live it out for yourself the rest of your life. And there's an incredible reference guide, and all the questions you may have had, things you've heard people say, and you didn't know how to answer, it's all in here, and we want to give this to you. in the next 40 days that you can go through. We also have a daily devotional for you, and it's online. You go to 40daysintheword.com, put that up on the screen, and you can register for that. And every day, some of the best Bible teachers in the nation are going to give you a five-minute devotional where you can be inspired, and you can read some scripture, and you can be ready. Can you imagine 40 days of spiritual input like that? That's going to be incredible. So sign up for that. They begin tomorrow. So uh, register. The link will be sent to you, and you can get started with that. And then in your program, there is a a bookmark, and it has the six key scripture verses that we're going to memorize together. Six very easy scriptures that I know you can memorize, and we're going to key each of the weeks off of them. So uh, it's the power of alignment. And hopefully by the end, you won't just be a person who hears it, but you'll become a person who lives out the Word. Are you guys ready? We're going to get started. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd fill me with faith, and you'd humble my heart, and you'd let me speak as you would speak to your people today that you love so much. In Jesus' name, amen. I brought my Bible with me today. This is the one my parents gave me when I was in my teenage years. I have glued the cover back on four times. It's fallen off. I've got all kinds of notes. I've highlighted it. I was sitting in church one time and I was highlighting a passage because I wanted to remember it later. And I felt this slap on the back of my head. And I turned around and there was this very upset woman who was angry that I was writing in the Bible, like I was desecrating the Bible. Apparently, she thought the Bible was supposed to sit on a coffee table and just be looked at. But. I actually was writing in my Bible. You know why? Because I interact with it. I write notes. I've got little piece of paper, scriptures that I'm trying to learn, uh, places that I want to remember, the maps I've stuck back in because they're not attached anymore. This is a well-used Bible. Now, I learned this. My grandfather, I've got his Bible, and he passed this on to me. And wow, this is like a treasured possession of mine because He's got it all highlighted up, and he's written in it, and there's notes. There's things that he wrote to himself that speak to me years after his death. There's places in this Bible that there's tear stains, like where his, he cried, and the type is blurred. And uh, it's powerful, right? It's, it's, it's something that somebody really cared about and uh, trusted. And my grandfather was an incredible man of faith, and so, you know, to have this and to realize that He was so profoundly impacted. He spent hours every day with this Bible taking in the Word of God. He trusted it. Now, I want to talk to you about that. How do you trust the Bible? I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey or where you come from, but I imagine that I'm talking to a variety of different people. I want to talk to you about the Bible today and hopefully introduce it to you like you've never heard of it before, maybe just reintroduce it to you in a whole new way. So about the Bible. It is the most unique book in all history. There's never been 
a book like it. In fact, the word itself doesn't mean book. It actually is book of books. The name Bible comes from a Greek word, Byblos, which was the name of a Phoenician city. And this city was a port city uh, in modern-day Lebanon, and it was the greatest importer of papyrus of anywhere in the world. In fact, it was the place where books were first made. If you lived at that time and you had a book, it was most likely produced or made. They weren't even called books. They were codexes, they called. They, They just stacked sheets. The first time it was ever done. And so when the Bible was assembled, not only was this a great book, it was the book of books, and they named it Biblos. And in fact, they put another name in front, the Holy Bible, because it's higher than, it's set apart, it's more awesome than any other book that's ever written, and certainly it is. No other writing has its characteristics. The Bible was written over a 1,500-year time span by over 40 different authors who wrote 66 different books. There are 39 books in the Old Testament and there are 27 books in the New Testament. There are 1,189 chapters in the entire Bible. The middle chapter of all of those is Psalm 117, which also happens to be the shortest chapter in the Bible. If you ever want to memorize a chapter of the Bible, that's the one. It's two verses long, so it's easy enough. It's right in the middle, but there's 100, or 1,189 chapters. And I just say that to say that if you were to read three or four chapters a day, you could read the entire Bible in a whole year. It's pretty easy. It's not really that hard. You just have to have a plan. In fact, if you were to round that up to 1,200 chapters and you read 10 chapters a day, which might take you from 30 minutes to an hour, depending on your speed, you could read the entire Bible in 120 days. It's absolutely easy to take in. But it is one of the most unique books. I want you to think about the time span in which it was written. It was not written by one person at one time. Think how the world must have changed over 1,500 years. Written by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages. Part of the Bible is written in Hebrew, some is written in uh, Greek, and some is written in Aramaic. Written by people from all walks of life, totally diverse, uh, a diversity of economic spectrums. You'll have a prisoner writing and you'll have a king writing or a prophet, or a a doctor, or an attorney, or or a fisherman, or a tax collector, or a shepherd, or a statesman in government. You have a wide variety of people, different cultures, different locations, writing over such a broad spectrum of time, writing about some of the most controversial issues in life, And yet there's this one unified theme that runs through. In fact, it's so clear from Genesis to Revelation. There's a singular unified theme that runs through that unites it all into the book that we have today called the Bible. That's so unique. I mean, like, there's no other book like that. Like the Quran, written by one person, Muhammad, at one period of time. The writings of Buddha, written by one person at one time. The writings of Confucius, the Analects of Confucius, they're written by one person at one particular time. But no, no, this is totally different. This is, this is, a, this is something that's so much bigger and greater, it can never be reduced to actually being just called a book. It is the book of books. And there's nothing like it. It is the first book ever to be translated from its original languages into the other, and it's the most translated book ever in all of history. There are more manuscript copies of the original documents than any other book of ancient literature ever. I mean, by far. We we have 25,000 manuscripts for the New Testament alone. 
the closest comparison is, is uh, Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey, and there's nine extant copies of that manuscript. I mean, it just defies, there is no other book that has its literary evidence like the Bible. It is written primarily by eyewitnesses, people who lived, who talked and spoke accurately of geographic locations, and it happened in, in, in human time and space. They write about what they saw. It's a book of not real, or not ideal people. It's a book of real people. It's, it's got some crazy people. It's got stories of, of people who did it all wrong. There are stories in there that raise your eyebrows, and you want, don't want your kids to read just yet. I mean, it is, it, it's all of that. And it's still here. The Bible's the most burned, banned, outlawed, uh, rejected book in all of history. More kings have tried to stop it. The authors were killed. Um, the people who translated it, most of them were burned at the stake. And government after government or philosopher or critic has come along to debunk the Bible, and yet it still remains. There was a French philosopher named Voltaire in France uh, in the 1700s. Brilliant man, was an atheist, and he wrote a number of tracts decrying or deriding the Bible. And one of the quotes that he said, he says, a hundred years from now, no one will remember the Bible. Well, a hundred years from now, 200 years, nobody remembers Voltaire. And uh, he's not here, nobody remembers what he says, but the Bible is still here. It still stands. And, and it is the most criticized, burned, banned, outlawed book, and yet it is the world's number one bestseller ever. More people have read the Bible. It's the most distributed, print, first book ever printed on the Gutenberg Press. There is no other book that has shaped the world like the Bible. So I'm always stunned when people say, well, I haven't read it. I mean, I, I, I've met people who say, well, I don't believe the Bible's true. And that's the first group of people I want to talk to this morning. There are people who would say, well, I don't believe the Bible's true. But I'm stunned that people don't read it. I mean, they've heard somebody else say, I ask, well, what, what, what is the part that, why don't you believe it? Well, it's all the inaccuracies and the, you know, all the inaccuracies, all of the, you know, the contradictions. And I'll say, okay, well, which ones? Let's talk about that. Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, which ones? I mean, tell me, which is the one that's got you hung up? Well, I don't know, but there's a lot of them. And where did you, well, who told you that? Well, the internet. Ah, well, of course it's true. <laughs> no, someone will say, well, listen, my college professor, freshman year, just ripped it. It showed us all the inaccuracies, and there's no possible way for this. I'm like, well, where's that guy today? I mean, you know, have you read the Bible? I mean, I know what he said, and I know that, but you, listen, let me just tell you, my friend, you, you can't just slam dunk the Bible with a soundbite. I mean, it's impossible. I mean, people have tried to do it, and yet it's still here. There are people that would love to discredit the Bible, and yet it still stands. It is not easily dismissed. And people say, well, you know, I just don't understand. There's some weird stuff. I saw it, and I didn't know what it meant. Well, yeah, there's lots of stuff we don't understand. There are some crazy people in the Bible. There are some people that are in the Bible and the sole purpose they're put in there is so that all of us don't ever do what that girl did. <laughs> don't ever do what he did. You know, and that's put in there for a warning for us. So not everything that's in the Bible is there for our instruction. It's there to say, you know, hey, stay away from being like that. So there are a lot of things we don't understand, but someone might say, well, you know what, listen, it's not so much that I don't believe it. I, just, I'm a, I believe in science and the Bible is scientifically inaccurate. Well, that's just not true. Listen, people who say that, either they don't know the Bible or they don't know science. It's one or the other. Because I'm telling you, there is no current scientific fact that is in dispute with the Bible at all. There really isn't. I mean, I know that's it's an easy thing to lob out there and say, but I mean, have you, have you read it for yourself? I mean, do you know? I mean, which is the thing that's got 
See, people don't know that. They just know the, the sound bite. It's got scientific inaccuracies. Listen, the Bible's not a scientific book. It does not speak in scientific language. But it's always been way ahead of the science of its day. Always. I'll give you an example. I mean, up to 200 years ago, people were still bleeding patients. You know what bleeding? I mean, like you're sick, so obviously you have bad blood. We need to get that out of you. That's what medical science taught 200 years ago. And now we know, well, that's no good. You got you to put blood into a person. You got to transfuse lots of good blood into the person. And you know what Leviticus uh, chapter 17 says all the way back 4,000 years ago when it was written? Uh, Leviticus 17 verse 11 declared the life of every creature is in its blood. Now the person who wrote that wasn't a scientist. Maybe they didn't think it through medically, but it was just written. And then later science comes along and goes, oh yeah, it's true. The life's in the blood. See, The bad science of every day occurs. There's nothing more worthless than an obsolete science textbook, right? They're on every garage sale. And and, uh, there are three miles of obsolete science books in the Louvre in Paris. And so they're not really worth anything other than just antiquities. but, But the science of our day is always changing. And yet the Bible, what's so interesting, it's not what the Bible says about science, it's what it doesn't say. I mean, it doesn't include all of the crazy, wacky medical treatments and all of the the sort of the mythology that you would expect for an ancient book of its day. I mean, the ancients believed everywhere. Every culture believed the earth had to be held up by something. And so the Greeks believed it was held up by a god named Atlas. That's what was holding up the earth. The Hindus believed, no, no, it's giant elephants. The earth is on the backs of giant elephants which are standing on the backs of turtles which are standing on a sea snake in the, in the sea. And then, then, <laughs> then you have uh, the Egyptians and they believe that the earth is held up by five pillars. Now, Moses was around and educated in the Egyptian worldview when he wrote the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and none of that worldview is included in the scripture. It's just not there. In fact, what the scripture says in Job chapter 26, and we believe maybe Moses was the author of this book, it says, God stretches the sky over empty space and he hangs the earth on nothing. Well, how did he know that? Nope. You can't find that anywhere in the history of ancient writing. Anywhere. Nobody believed that. And yet somebody just felt inspired to write that in. And later, you know, science would confirm that. How about just the belief that the earth was flat? Everybody thought that up until, you know, Copernicus and Galileo. And they began to talk about, no, the earth is a sphere. It's round. It has no, it's not flat. Everybody laughed at them and there was persecution. And yet go back into the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 22, 2,300 years before Copernicus and Galileo, where it says, um, God is enthroned above the sphere of the earth. And nobody at the time of Isaiah, anywhere in the world, thought the earth was round. All I'm saying is is that there's none of that weird, wacky, mythological, anti-science stuff in the Bible. And yes, there are things that we have yet to reconcile, but I'm telling you there's not one thing in the Bible today that is in conflict with current scientific fact. So again, all I'm saying is not to prove all that today, I don't have the time, but I'm saying don't be so easily persuaded by the soundbite because the Bible's still here and it's not easily dismissed. In fact, the Bible withstands all critics. The word of the God proves true time and time again. I, I just want to ask, 
and move it out of the little Monday, out of the details and into the big question. Okay, so what is the big theme of the Bible? What's the unified theme that runs from cover to cover? I ask that question to people all the time, and people can't tell me that answer. You know why they can't tell me the answer? Simple reason. Simplest reason in the world. Well, they've never read it. So they know what they don't believe about the Bible, but they never actually read it themselves. So wait a second. You want to tell me that you've dismissed the greatest, most influential, best-selling book in the whole world, by far the most unique book, and you just chose not to read it and base your life based on what somebody said one time in passing and you felt like, okay. I mean, this is what I'm getting at. People dismiss this way too easily. And I'm just saying you owe it to yourself. If you're one of those people that say, I don't believe the Bible's true, you need to owe it, you owe it to yourself someday to pick up the book and read it for yourself. Let me tell you why the Bible is still here. In spite of all the arguments and the controversy, it's the most fascinating book ever because it's primarily a book of prophecy. Do you know that a third of the Bible is prophetic? It talks about here is what is going to happen in the future. And there is nothing more fascinating to us than somebody saying this is what is going to occur. And half of what the Bible says is going to occur has already happened. I mean, the prophecies were given and then it occurred. So listen, anything that predicts the future and has a track record of everything so far, half of it's taken place, I'm going with that book. I mean, it, there are things yet to come, and that still fascinates the world today. How many movies are based on what the Scripture has to say about what the future is going to hold? Because we're, we're fascinated by what it describes. So the Bible's a book of prophecy, and I just want to show you a couple that are just incredible. Um, take a look, or listen to this. This is in Psalm chapter 22. Let me read something for you here. Um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know who said that? Okay, uh, listen, I'll keep reading. Um, my, my life, uh, maybe I'll back up. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My life is poured out like water. My bones are all out of joint. My heart is like wax within me, melting within me. My strength is dried up like the sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. They've, they've laid in wait for me. They surround me like an evil gang closing in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count every bone in my body, and my enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my clothing amongst themselves, and they throw dice from my garment. Now, who's he talking about? That is a description of the crucifixion of Jesus. And yet it was written by David, King David, 800 years before Jesus was ever born. And, more amazingly than that, crucifixion was not even invented. Nobody nailed people in their hands and feet to kill them, right? That didn't happen until the Romans, you know, hundreds of years later. And so here is something so obvious now, and we see it prophesied and we see it fulfilled. Or how about Isaiah chapter 53 where it reads, um, uh, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We turned our back on him and looked the other way. He was despised, we didn't care, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his trouble uh, were a punishment from God for his own sins, but he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. All of us have strayed away like sheep and we have left God's path to follow our own and yet the Lord laid on him the guilt of us all and he was oppressed and treated harshly 
and yet he never said a word. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, silent before the shears, and he did not open his mouth. From prison and trial, they led him away to his death, but who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins, that he was suffering their punishment? He had done no wrong, he never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal and was put in a rich man's grave. I mean, anyone who's watched a movie about Jesus' life knows that's, he's talking about Jesus. And yet that was written 750 years before Jesus was ever born. In such stunning, clear detail, the Bible is a book of prophecy. And Jesus himself, amazingly, he prophesied about the future. He, he prophesied his own death and burial and resurrection. He said this. He said, uh, I am going to be betrayed, Mark 9. I'm going to be handed over to my enemies. I'm going to be crucified. And three days later, I am going to rise from the dead. He predicted his own death. He predicted his resurrection. And then he rose from the dead. And the fact that we're here today... The fact that your calendar says 2013, I mean, Jesus' arrival split history into two parts. He existed. He was a real person that was so impactful. Why? Because he lived? No, because he rose from the dead. And people saw him, and they couldn't stop talking about a dead man that came back to life and proved that what he said was true. And all the people, I mean, it happened in, in the city where he was killed, not something far away, in the city of Jerusalem where they saw him die, People began to believe by the thousands, and it began to spread out. In fact, the people that he walked with his disciples, they went to their death. They went to a martyr's death proclaiming, never once denying that Jesus rose from the dead. So the foundation of our faith isn't the Bible. The foundation of our faith is not just this Bible. The foundation of our faith is an event that Jesus died and he rose again. And so that's what our whole faith is built on, this prophetic event that took place. And, 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 you know, like his brothers believed. What would you have to do to prove to your brother that you were the son of God? <laughs> you grew up in the other room. You're not the, you're not the son of God. I know you, you know. And, and yet, yet they believed. I mean, they didn't believe at first. The scriptures talk about how they didn't believe. And then suddenly they saw him raised from the dead. And then James... Uh, Jude. I mean, they've written two of the books of our, of our Bible, book of books. One is James and one is Jude, the very brothers of Jesus that would say, I am James, a slave and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is a book that just defies the simple soundbite slam dunk. It's a book of prophecy fulfilled. John, who walked with Jesus, who wrote about him, when he, he was the last one to write of all the books of the New Testament, and he wrote this Gospel of John, and when he thought about it, he realized, we didn't just see a man, we saw God. We, the God who spoke the world into existence, who set all the laws of nature and science in place, and the God who, who gave us his word and his law, and everything we've been believing, the whole word, like the words of God, everything that God has ever said, I mean, we saw God. Look what he says in John chapter 1. He says, the word became flesh and well in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth they they believed he believed that this was 
the Word of God, this person. So I'll write this down. This is another thing about the Bible that's so amazing. The Word of God's not just a book. It's not just the good book. It's not just some record of history. This is actually the Word of God. It is living. It is the words of Jesus. It's alive. It's alive. It's a person. So when you hear and when you read and when you memorize and you discuss and you study and you're taking in God's word, what's really happening is when you mix it with your faith, you are connecting with Jesus. You're connecting with the star of the story. The unified theme of the Bible is that every book points to Jesus and he is the redeemer of man from start to finish. The Bible is telling the story of Jesus and he rose from the dead and he's alive and he wants to talk to you every day. And so the Word of God is a person. And the thing is, is Jesus is still transforming people's lives today. It's not the Bible. It's not like something that happened. It's not just information. It's the fact that it's the power of the living Christ that is transforming and changing the lives of people all over the world. Jesus said this, the words that I give to you are spirit and life. And the Apostle Paul wrote about it. He said this in First, Second Timothy. He says, all the scripture is God-breathed. It's, it's alive. There's the breath of God. When you read it and you apply faith to it, like this is actually God talking to me, and you start to take it like that, you realize I'm interacting with the Son of God as I open this book it starts to change your life. He says, when you start to approach it like that and you, you breathe in the breath of God and you're, you're reading this and you're, your whole mentality has started to shift about it and you start to read it as a living interaction, he says, it's useful then to teach us what's true. It helps us realize what's wrong with our lives. See, you don't need anybody to point that out. You, are, you, you just read the Bible and God will talk to you. He will correct you where you're wrong and teach you to do what's right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. Because that's really the whole point. It's not about studying the Bible. It's about your life and the idea that God has a purpose for you and that he's trying to get you onto that purpose and he's trying to help you figure out how to move from being a fearful person who lives life scared of everyone and everything and so by default we try to get in control and master it but we can't and so we live scared and what transformation looks like is that if we can get Christ on the inside of us he moves us from being a fearful person to a person that loves people well just like him who lives life unafraid the Bible, when it becomes real to you and you take it in, it transforms you. It moves you from being a person that is afraid to forgive to a person that can forgive freely. A person who's bound up by the hurts of the past and stuck in pain and giving you the ability to let it go and move on to a future. The reason why the Bible's still here is because there's so much power to transform people's lives. It takes people who are afraid and paralyzed and believe all hope is gone, and they receive something. God speaks something to them, and when they put their faith into action, there's profit that comes from that interaction. Life may have taken it out, but when God deposits something inside of you, pretty soon, over time, if you'll let God's word continue, a profit starts to build up that overcomes all the liabilities. Do you understand what I'm saying? The liabilities of what has happened to you and keeps you in fear. This is not an intellectual study. The Bible's not meant to be looked at and analyzed objectively. It's meant to be interacted with by people who say, I need help. 
and people who say, I need to change. Have you ever had that moment when you have said, I don't want to be like this anymore? I don't want to... I don't want to say that. I keep saying those, I keep hurting. I keep doing what I don't want to do. When, that, when you have that moment and you say, I don't want to be like that anymore. And you start to take the word inside of you and you start to bring your faith. Jesus, talk to me. Jesus, come inside of me. Jesus, fill me with your spirit so I don't have to act like the way I used to be. It changes your life transforms you. Word of God's a person. And he wants to transform your life. And if you follow him, you've heard me say this, if you will follow him and take him in, you won't even recognize yourself a few years from now. He will transform you. And one of the ways you'll know you're transformed is that even though you've been afraid all your life, you have a courage and a bravery and an ability to do things you thought you could never do, but by faith you can do whatever he calls you to do, whatever he says. There's two kinds of people in the room. There's the people who say, well, I don't believe the Bible. We talked about that, but what about the people who say, well, I believe the Bible, but you don't really believe the Bible. I believe the Bible, but you don't really believe the Bible because it's never profited you. I mean, you, you, if I were to ask you, oh, I believe it's the word... But is it Jesus talking to you? Are you taking it in like this is the word? This is the word of God to me. I mean, people don't think like that, right? So they just believe it's the word of God, but it's never been real to them. They had no faith mixed with the word. Word by itself will do nothing. But if you bring your faith to that and you say, Lord, help me to do what it is you're calling me to do, change your life. There's a lady who came to church about a year ago absolutely broken, so hurt that she couldn't even remember what happiness felt like. You ever been there where it's so dark you don't think you'll ever see the light of day again? And she was in that pit. She had been left by her husband of 33 years with a son with multiple disabilities and she had no job and she thought life was over. In fact, she thought she would take her own life. And in that pit of despair, somehow, some way, somebody invited her to come to church. And when she sat there in her pain and in her dejection, but she heard the word, and somehow a voice spoke to her and said, it doesn't have to be like this forever. You can change. I can do something great out of your life. I can make all of this work together for good. And you've heard that before, but you know what this woman did? She, by faith, she believed and then she started to put her faith into action. She started showing up to church. She started studying the word. She started to discuss it with people. She started to memorize. She started to get confident. Even though she'd been so afraid, she said, you know what? God is changing me. And over time, she started to feel and see the difference. She started a business, got a second job, started a charity, began to become an impact for good in her community, all in the span of one year. And y'all met her on Tuesday when she went to work at the elementary school in Georgia when a young man named Michael Hill, dressed in black and an AK-47, walked into that school with 500 rounds of ammunition saying, this is the day I die, and started shooting his gun. And she was at 
that desk and she was afraid that the amazing 911 tape that has been playing around the country have you heard this and what she said at the beginning of that tape was I was scared she wanted to, to, to run but then she realized I can't run if I run he'll start to shoot the children so I got to stay here and engage him and over the course of this 20 minute 911 call you hear the most amazing it's supernatural what she is able to say. She said later, I was praying the whole time. I was scared to death, but God was speaking to her, giving her super. She had Jesus on the inside. She had taken him in, and she had been prepared for every good work that God had in front of her. And what's amazing, at, at, at the peak of this, after she has managed to speak to him and talk to him, and he's surrendered his gun, and he's laying on the floor... She tells him that she loves him. I want to read to you some of what she said. <laughs> Don't feel bad, baby. Later, last year, my husband left me after 33 years. I've got a son that's multiple disabled. I felt like you feel. I've thought the same things. You know, I tried to commit suicide last year after my husband left me. But look at me now. I'm still working. I'm still here, and everything's going to be okay. And we're not going to hate you, baby. It's a good thing that you've given up. It's going to be all right, sweetie. I just want you to know that I love you, though, okay? And I am proud of you. That's a good thing you're doing, just giving up. Don't worry about it. We all grow through something in life. <laughs> wow. And the evidence that your life has been transformed by Jesus is that you... <laughs> no longer live lives paralyzed by fear, but you live lives able to love people well, even cross racial divides, even down the barrel of a gun and still function in the power and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Unbelievable. That's what you want. You can go ahead. I'll just give you your moment to praise the Lord. After he was taken into custody, she broke down on the phone and go, oh my God, I've never been so scared in my whole life. And yet, in the moment, functioning in the power of God's Spirit, moment by moment, praying, prepared. You, you can't tell me that a year ago when she was at her lowest that she could have ever imagined what God was going to do in her life. There was no way that she could have known what she was being prepared for. And I think about what God had provided. He had the right people in place, the right church in place, the right word in place, the right lessons, the right people to encourage, the right opportunities. He had everything aligned. All she needed to do was activate her faith and say, I believe, and then start to walk in the direction that God was calling her. That's all she had to do, and she did it, and God had laid it out. And to this day, Anderson Cooper was crying in tears because he said, I've never seen anything like it because... When you love people well, it destroys. The world can't even understand that, especially when it's your enemy. And God wants to free us all, me included, of the fear of our enemies and the fear of stuff that we, you know, what a tragedy to go our whole lives and not accomplish and do the things that God had lined up for us because we were afraid. And so God says, I want to transform your life. Life is not how it's supposed to be right now, but if you'll follow me and take me in, and let me transform you, and you mix your faith with that, and no matter how much life is taken out, if you take me in, eventually you're going to profit from this word, and your life's going to be transformed. 
But what about those people who say, well, I believe all that, but they never do. If you don't mix God's word with your faith and put it into action, you could miss the whole thing. The writer of the book of Hebrews talking to about the, the, the children of Israel who heard God speak and say, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to take you to a land of rest and a land of promise and a place of purpose. I have a whole future for you. I have security. I've got a blessing for you you can't even imagine. And the people heard and they started to follow, but they didn't believe and they didn't have faith and they complained and they saw things only from a human perspective and they refused to actually trust God and obey what he said when he said, go on into the land. And all of them died in the wilderness and they failed to profit from the experience that God gave them. Now the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 writes to us about those people. Look what it says and follow this on the screen. Take a look. God's promise of entering into his rest. What's that? Supernatural peace, prosperity, the place where God wants you to be, the blessing he has for you, the life he has in store for you, salvation. The promise of entering his rest still stands. Look at this. It's odd. So we ought to tremble with fear. What? Yes, tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. This is deep. He's saying some of you ought to tremble with fear that you might go your whole life and never experience what God has for you because you didn't believe. Look what he says. For this gospel has been announced to us just as it was to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith in them who heard it. So, if you don't, you see, it's not what you believe. You don't believe what you believe. You believe what you do. That's what you actually believe. And if you don't do, if you don't act, God speaks to you and he talks to you, or maybe you say, one of these days I'll read it. You miss your whole life. You ought to fear that. Fail to experience what God has. I want to just illustrate with a principle. I got this from T.G. Jakes. It's so powerful. This week, I asked my assistant, Lucy, to prepare three note cards. And in the note card, I said, write this from me. Say, I have something for you on the little table next to the podium. She prepared three note cards, and I prepared three envelopes. And inside of the envelopes, I put $100 in each envelope. I put $300, and I put it inside each of the envelopes. And then when the service began this morning, I sent out my messenger, and I sent him out into the room, and I said, just go find three people. Let God direct you, and find three people, and give them the word from me. And the word says, I left something for you, on the table next to the podium. Three people received that. Three people read it. Somebody might have even believed it, but nobody moved. So you see, the word did not profit you. <laughs> I know there were some obstacles. 
I know, what do you mean? Like in the middle of the service, I was supposed to move. And, you know, my staff, they told me when they, they heard about this, they said, well, you got to make it more specific. you got to write it like, come now, come in the middle of the service, just walk right up on the stage. And I said, no, that's not how faith works. We always, you think God's going to give you all the details? You don't need faith then. You just need your sight. You just do, you need faith. And faith is about instinct. And instinct is about when God speaks, you just do what your gut says to do. And that's what I'm, that's what he's, that's how life is. And so, yes, there are obstacles. It was not going to be easy to get up and walk up here in front of everybody. And what if somebody stops me? And what if he interrupts? Or what? If, I don't even know what's going to happen. And is that really for me? Is this a joke? What? All of the doubts, maybe later, afterwards, some other time. You understand this is how, that's the track that goes in our head all the time when God is speaking. Hmm. And didn't Jesus say, that his word should be our daily bread. He's got a word for you every day. He has direction for you. He's got stuff that he has prepared in advance. I prepared to give this away today, in, in advance, all week long. I thought about it. I prepared it. I sent messengers out. It was all, all that was required was somebody to act in faith and just get up and move. When God speaks to you, don't just look at it. Don't just sit there and go, well, someday or maybe. Put your faith in action. If you don't, you will never profit from it, and you'll miss the experience and fear that. What if I miss what God has for me? All right, so, so who, who got those note cards? Come on. I got, th- I got this for you. This is for you. Stand up. Go ahead. If you got a card and you're in here, there you are. Give her a great hand, all right? Come get your money. Here you go. Now, I know I didn't just give out one in this room. Come on, who else? All right, give her a great hand, too. That's for you, sweetie. God bless you. You're welcome. Who else? All right, one more. Thank you, my friend. Here you go. God bless you. God has stuff planned in advance for you. We are not going to just have some academic study of God's word for 40 days as if that's going to change anything. It's all about your faith. It's all about what you'll allow God to do in you and whether or not you come into this going, God, I need everything you've got. I hold nothing back. Do what you need to do in me. You're going to hear the word of God every week for six weeks. You're going to have a chance to read it for yourself. I've given you devotional help to sign up for at 40daysintheword.com and you can discuss it in a group. If you don't mix the word you're receiving with other people, you see, faith comes not just from the word but from each other as well. If one person would have walked up here, do you know what would have happened? Everybody else would have followed. Oh, that's what we do. Okay, I know what to do now. And God's just looking for a few leaders. And so, will you put your faith in action? He has a word for you. He wants to talk to you every single day. Those of you who say, I believe in the word, well, why don't you believe that Jesus wants to speak deeply and guide you and direct you and position you and prepare you for things you don't even know yet and you're wasting time when you don't act on it. Do you hear what I'm saying today? All right, the first memory verse for the whole 40 days, I'm going to have them put it up on the screen, and we're going to read this together. And let's learn it together right now. We're going to say the verse, and then we're going to say the reference so we remember where it's found. 
Let's read it together. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16. One more time. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16. One more time. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16. So how's that going to happen? How is that going to happen in your life? Why don't you bow your heads for just a minute. Just ponder that question about this scripture you just received. God, we need a word from you every single day of our lives. And you've given us your word and we can connect with you and you can talk to us and we can inspire each other and we can lift each other up and we can encourage each other. We can get authentic about where we don't understand and where we're stuck and where we're stopped. And we can dream about what you might do through us. And Lord, you want to prepare us not just individually, but I believe you want to prepare our church right now in advance for things that we haven't even seen yet. So God, I ask that by your spirit, you'll move across willing hearts all over this room. And together, Lord, we want to say, yes, I want to be led down the best path of my life. I want to be guided. I want to be directed. I want to do what you say, and I want to discover what you have for me. I want to to receive everything that you have for me. If that's you, say, yes, God, that's me. So by faith, Lord, I pick up my questions. I pick up the doubts, the unanswered questions I don't have yet. But Lord, I believe that in time, you'll reveal to me the questions of my heart. But from this day forward, I am going to follow you. Why don't you say that today? Especially if you feel far from God, why don't you just say this prayer? Jesus Christ, there are many things I'm ashamed of. I'm sorry for what I've done, and I'm going to stop playing God and let you lead me today. Come into my life. Forgive me. Make me a new person. I don't understand it all, but I want to learn. I want to follow you the rest of my life. If that's you, say, oh God, that's me. Now, Holy Spirit, may we fall in love with Jesus the next 40 days and hear his voice and train our instincts. And I pray we'd all learn to obey instantly when God gives us a word and may you change our lives through it. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Why don't you go ahead and just praise God for what he spoke in your life today. We have over 1,200 people that are signed up for a small group, and you can still join for this next four days. It's not too late. In fact, if you are a host of a home, you're going to invite people to your home. Will you just stand for a minute? Can you just stand up? If you're a a host of a small group all over this room, just stand up real quick. Come on. We want to thank these people. We appreciate you. Look at, how, look at how normal they look. They're not some weird, creepy Bible people. They're just normal people. You ought to go to their house. They look incredibly loving. So don't just sit back with whatever excuse. Get involved. Get engaged. Get to 40daysintheword.com. If you prayed that prayer with me today and you want to follow Jesus, today's the day for you to be baptized, to be proud of that, and say, you know what? The old me is dead. 
and I'm going to follow Jesus from this day forward. I would love to see you baptized this morning. Um, Memorize that scripture. Keep coming back. And let this incredible 40 days begin. I love you guys.